We're here in a conference room at Riverside Baptist Church in Southwest Washington, D.C., which is one of my favorite parts of the nation's capital. Greeting Reverend Dr. Al Staggs, otherwise known as Al Staggs the right. actor, uh, among other things. Comedian, I understand. Yes. You, you told me this morning. Wanna be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's never too late. Yeah, I know. Never too late. Um, here at the church, they've been so gracious, Pastor Michael Bledsoe, Bledsoe, uh, who is your host, yes, uh, has given us a conference room so folks who are listening or watching you may hear a little background noise because this is kind of a vibrant place. And then once in a while you may hear Hope Christensen, who is our fellow from the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute Seminary, and uh, who is behind the camera, Hello. helping us with video. Thank you, Hope, so very much. And uh, Hope may chime in because, Al, there's no controlling Hope. Okay. She has a will of her own entirely, and rightfully so. We respect that. So, Hope, when you want to interject, the table is all yours. Al. Uh, pleasure to meet you finally after many years. I discovered you during my own doctoral work uh, when I was looking at Bonhoeffer's life. And now, I, well, I found you through a view from the underside, uh, which we are about to watch you in action as uh, an actor portraying Dietrich Bonhoeffer mm -hmm. entirely in his prison cell? Yes. Okay, entirely. so from Tegel. I imagine Tegel yes. Prison right. in Berlin. And if you haven't seen Al Stagg's portray Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you absolutely must. Can folks still get this DVD? Sure, yes. And where do they find it? Well, they can uh, order it through Amazon. Uh, okay. They can order it from my website. Which Any is, place it can be downloaded aside from a whirling disc, which is a little 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 antiquated now. yeah yeah uh, you know that's a good question yeah uh, but I somebody find it and then let us know yeah that it's available somewhere other than on DVD but if it isn't it's worth borrowing or getting a DVD player out of the closet and blowing the dust off of it and setting it up I can't believe that DVDs are already you know, passe, I know, but, I know. but they are. And then you're going to want to get a hold of this book, which I'll mention incidentally in our conversation. But let me stop blathering and let's hear the voice of Al Staggs because your spiritual pilgrimage is a fascinating one. In fact, I'd say it in some ways it parallels Bonhoeffer's. So before we get to Bonhoeffer and your portrayal of him, Tell us, if you will, a little bit about your own spiritual journey from Arkansas, from mm -hmm. Southern Baptist, to where you are today. Well, I grew up, uh, as you mentioned, in Arkansas, in a fairly rural area, uh, in a, uh, I would call it a fundamentalist church, Baptist church, uh, and uh, was really very serious about my faith. Uh, up until through my teens, and just extremely uh, committed uh, to what I call a, a, a very conservative orientation. And uh, I discovered Bonhoeffer rather belatedly. Uh, it was, wasn't until I was at Harvard uh, Divinity School. Hold on. 
Harvard's a long way oh, from yeah, 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 rural Arkansas. Now, what happened in between? Yeah, uh, I, you got to give us a picture of that. Yeah, I think, I think in between I was looking for a model, uh, somebody with whom I could identify. Uh, and I, I did not have one model uh, for my Christian life uh, until uh, Bonhoeffer came along later. So uh, the question was, how does one embody belief and commitment today? And that was always a, a challenge for me. Uh, you know, we would always look to the example of Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus was perfectly human and perfectly divine. But I was always searching for a model who had lived within recent times. And I did not have that, uh, really, uh, or else they were saints from centuries ago. And so there was a void uh, in my life as to whom I could model my life after. And that was, that was pretty much of a struggle uh, in my life, earlier life. So by the time you were even looking for that, and probably, I don't want to uh, fast forward you, but were you looking for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or did you happen upon Dietrich Bonhoeffer? I think I happened upon Bonhoeffer, yeah. Um, and it just sort of, uh, everything just came together for me. Uh, here was a person who struggled uh, with life, who uh, was in the midst of crises, uh, and was very honest about those, you know, talking about those crises. Uh, there was uh, systemic injustice, structural injustice surrounding his life, and uh, to say the least. Yeah, and so I, I found myself struggling with those same similar issues. Uh, how does one uh, maintain a faithfulness in the midst of times of chaos, in the times of injustice? Uh, how does one find one's direction of faith? Uh, and, and I found this in, in Bonhoeffer. Well, those are profound questions. Now, you were asking those questions in your seeking as a minister. By yes. then you were ordained. Right. I mean, you're not just an actor. You're, you're multidimensional. Yes. Uh, you were trained uh, in ministry, mm -hmm. in theology. Tell us just a little bit about your, your, your background. You were raised in, in rural Arkansas, mm -hmm. member of a fundamentalist Baptist church. And where did you do your initial schooling for ministry? Uh, initially, it was Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, a uh, Baptist school. Uh, that's where I achieved the, the bachelor's degree, got interested in psychology there, majored in psychology. Uh, went on to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in uh, Fort Worth. Um, Did a master's in divinity? Uh, master's in religious education. Uh, yeah, and then right after, not long after that, I uh, uh, did a year's internship in clinical pastoral education. One full year, 12 months. That was a, an extremely enriching. Where did you do that? At Baylor University Medical oh. Center in Dallas, mm -hmm. Texas. And 
that contributed a great deal to my acting because during that year, my supervisor was uh, extremely uh, legalistic about me getting in touch with my feelings uh, psychologically. And what I discovered during that year is that injustice bothered me greatly. Uh, whenever I would see or perceive injustice in any way, it, it really uh, bothered me deeply. And so he, his encouragement was to face that honestly and to, be, uh, to, to not try to skirt it or to try to argue it away, but to, to deal with it and let it affect me emotionally, which it was. I just caught your second use of honest, as honestly. Mm. And you said that about Bonhoeffer. Here was a guy who, who talked about his, his crises and, mm -hmm. and personal struggles honestly. So were you seeing something other than that in, in your Christian experience, in your ministry career? Was there a time when you were seeing less than honestly or dishonestly or I was why was that important to you? Incongruities. Uh, for instance, I grew up in the South in Arkansas and it, the legacy of slavery, the legacy of Jim Crow, the legacy of segregation bothered me greatly, still does, that here you have the Bible Belt uh, and generations of revivalism conservatism, yet it's in that, that context that slavery, Jim Crow, uh, segregation thrived, racism thrived, and that was one of, the, one of the great paradoxes. And now you're an ageless man. I want to pay that compliment to you. I could not really tell where you are age-wise because you're looking real good, but you actually grew up in a time before civil rights. Right. Mm -hmm particularly for African-Americans. So you saw it firsthand. For I you, it's it not the reading of the history books. Right, right. It was a segregated South, a segregated Arkansas, segregated in my church. The uh, African-Americans were not allowed to worship in our church. Uh, we didn't go to school with them. Uh, they lived in a different community, was segregated. Uh, and that, the memory of those times still lingers with me that again, we were a very religious people, but our religion, our faith, our commitment did not demonstrate itself in positive race relationships. This would also be, uh, 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 I would also deal with this when I would began to think about Jewish-Christian relations, that we did not have an inclusivity toward the Jewish community, that uh, Jews were considered to be, quote, unsaved, or, or even worse, that they were the killers of Christ. Uh, they were the perpetrators, all of them. And so uh, it, it bothered me that here we were, uh, of people who were supposedly doing God's will or the God's people, and yet we were treating another people uh, as less than human. 
Now, you know, I can hear my own conservative friends, fundamentalist friends, and I have some. In fact, some who are quite important to me, many that I spent most of my ministry career in relationship with who will say, oh yeah, but you're talking about the past. That's all over. That was done. You know, we passed laws, we stopped that, it was all over, people should stop complaining about it. Is that true? No. No. And one has to ask who, why didn't the church lead the way? Why didn't the Christians lead the way? It, it was, you know, it was the laws, it was movers, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, activists who suffered a great deal to make those changes, you know, sitting at uh, 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 fountains, sitting at uh, having uh, demonstrations or having uh, marches, and they suffered a great deal from the powers that be. Uh, the people who now enjoy that did not have to suffer. They did not have to put forth any sacrifice or effort. And the church, by and large, really did not, did not uh, lead the way. Uh, it was society. It was the ACLU. It was the SCLC. It was, uh, you know, those organizations. As one uh, uh, great thinker asked, where was the CHURCH? in all of this, the church. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not only past, it's, it's racism is, is as strong now as it has ever been. Uh, it's resurging. Uh, we're, we're seeing a, a great deal of racism. So our host pastor here just said that after you perform, which will be just in a short time, I'm kind of amazed you would sit with me at this point. I hope I'm not uh, delaying your, your preparation uh, for what I consider an epic performance. I'm gonna plug this again because if, <coughs> since you're not here and, and can't see Al perform Dietrich Bonhoeffer live, please get a hold of the DVD or find another place where you can download a video file and watch this magnificent performance. So uh, I understand that afterwards, uh, Rabbi Zemel, uh, who will be here from Temple Micah in Washington, D.C., and myself will be asked uh, to make a statement uh, on why Bonhoeffer is relevant now or relevant uh, today. I think that question is relatively easy to answer. Uh, yeah. That's a softball for me. But for you, when you went looking for Bonhoeffer or looking for something and you found Bonhoeffer, which you said was at Harvard or during mm -hmm. your time, your right. days at Harvard. So how old are you at that point? What, what, what time period are we I say, in? I'm 36 years of age at that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 1982, 1983. Okay, so we just dated you. Sorry yeah. about that. I just I solved the mystery. I was because I bet late. you were thinking, I, I can't figure out how old so this guy is. Rules, the rules change. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what your secret is, but I, I would like to know it. Um, so, so let's move then, if we can uh, fast forward now through your, your life and career and, and you're distressed about the conditions that you saw in the church and outside of the church. Right. And both. you go looking and you find, you discover Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How do you discover Bonhoeffer? 
Well, uh, for all the wrong reasons, my advisor at Harvard Divinity School was Harvey Cox, and he... Uh, Google uh, him if you're not familiar with Harvey Cox. He, um, he once said in class, he said, my favorite theologian is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So I thought, well, I'll go read everything I can on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and impress my supervisor. So I'd, I went and read everything I could, but it, what it did happen, it impressed me. It was as if I was reading the morning newspaper. It was so applicable. Uh, and what was happening uh, during that time is the Central American crisis. I remember uh, Iran Gate and uh, all of the Central American uh, you know, the horrors that were occurring down there. And, and to a great extent, our nation was complicit with uh, the uh, existence of death squads, especially in El Salvador uh, and, and really other places. And with that, I had to wrestle with why is it that there are so many Christians who are either silent about what's going on in Central America with so many deaths, or they're supportive of the government policy, our government's policy. I had a phone conversation with uh, a Nicaraguan leader, a Baptist doctor, a medical doctor, who was a, also a pastor. And he said to me on the phone, he says, would you please tell your people what your country is doing to our people, the innocents, the non-combatants. They were killing them by the hundreds. And uh, so that made me aware that, that in this, quote, Christian America, we had some blood on our hands. Uh, and, and of course, what that leads to, when you become complacent about the government's policies, you can get yourself into a situation uh, similar to Germany that I'm not doing anything to Jews or anyone else, but uh, I'm either ignoring what's happening in it through my government's policies, or I choose to ignore it, or I'm complicit some way because I'm supporting a leader uh, who is enacting those policies. And that is called complicity. Uh, so apathy and complicity are two of the great sins, I think, of the Christian uh, community where you're not necessarily participating, but you know something's wrong and you don't do anything about it, you don't speak up. And, you, and did you see Bonhoeffer addressing that, confronting that? Yes. Dealing with that He spoke, problem, he wrote family. about it, uh, he wrote a piece called The Confession of Guilt, where he said the, the church is guilty of the deaths of the weakest and most defenseless brothers and sisters of our Lord, the Jews. And of course, we know that six million Jews died in the Holocaust. And so what he's doing, he's pinning the actual primary blame on Christians for one, apathy, inaction, uh, not defending the cause of the oppressed, uh, and two, uh, basically looking the other way and supporting a man like Hitler 
giving him complete support when he's committing these evils. Most people have no idea that it was the Evangelischkirche, the Evangelical Church in Germany, yeah. who declared Adolf Hitler a gift and miracle from God. Yes. That he was, in fact, an answer to their prayers. Right. And was given to the German people for that moment. Yeah. So do you see Bonhoeffer speaking to us today in this moment of time? I do. Uh, and that's a sweeping answer, but uh, you have the situation with the immigrants uh, who are in a, a situation of it's unconscionable. We're splitting up families, uh, uh, dividing up families where people who are applying for asylum because they're in a, a situation of violence. That to an extent we have helped create the problem from which they're running in Central America. It's, it's our policies toward uh, these, these nations which have, uh, which have encouraged the violence in their nation. So they're running from something we've helped uh, create. So we, we owe them a lot more compassion uh, than merely to split up the families, and which I think is cruel. I think it's in, obviously inhumane. Uh, I think the way we deal with other nations, our foreign policy, uh, when we overthrow uh, governments and put in a leader of our preference, uh, sometimes that turns uh, sour, and the leader we put in turns out to be a despot and kills thousands and thousands of people. So we have a moral responsibility uh, as Christians to be knowledgeable about what we do as a nation and to act on behalf of the victims. And I, this is where I go back to Matthew 25, 31 through 46. It's not only private charity, it's structural evil that we need to be concerned about also. And the Third Reich and Hitler is an example of that. When I, uh, here we go with another book plug, because I think it's that good, really. Uh, and look, very manageable read uh, for what would Bonhoeffer say uh, on a, a number of issues. But I think it's very early on uh, that you mentioned uh, Matthew 25. Mm -hmm and that you had never heard in your Christian formation, you had never heard a sermon preached on, from that text. Right. And it occurred to me, neither did I, that this is a virtually ignored passage, mm -hmm. which is great reason to go to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wish we could explore it, but uh, I got to do a time check and we are right at stop. But I'm gonna give hope one, one one opportunity here because uh, you've been so helpful getting our video going and you are a fellow in your own exploration of Bonhoeffer. You get the last word with Al. Sure. I think the question that I have in, in kind of preparation for the performance that people are able to check out on DVD is, over the years that you've been performing this, um, has there been a consistent response or has the response to this performance evolved in whatever moment that, um, and context in which you were performing it? I think uh, it's been a, there's been a consistency uh, that uh, 
Bonhoeffer raises a consistent question uh, about the necessity of uh, acting and speaking uh, up for the victims, the oppressed. That's, that's consistent. I think, though, at different times, it's been more pressing uh, to do that. I, uh, in the 80s, I felt it very, very pressing to, to uh, say something about, indirectly, about Central America and about the, uh, uh, our government uh, uh, taking money away from the social services spending uh, as they did, and, uh, and huge cuts to, so those two issues were primary in the 80s. They're different now, but they're, but they're similar, because uh, what is happening is that working people, working class people, uh, and, other, and other groups are having to carry shoulder a, a huge uh, part of the, you know, the load of balancing the budget and, and uh, those kinds of issues. Thank you. Thanks, Hope. Thanks, Al Staggs, author of What Would Bunhofer Say? And the performance artist, the actor in A View from the Underside, The Legacy of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Thanks for spending the time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.